Hello, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I hope they're doing very well. This fine Sunday, uh, the 25th of October 2009, I hope you have a most excellent week, and I hope that you are ready for a little philosophical rumble in the jungle of my brain. So uh, I am more than happy to take calls. The caller number is 347-633-9636. And you are welcome to also type questions into the chat window on Blog Talk. Or if you want to join the Freedom Made Radio chat, which I'm also having a look at, you can go to fdrurl.com forward slash chat room, I think, or something like that. Uh, just go to the homepage and there's a, uh, a chat link. So I hope you're doing very well. Uh, James, we are uh, live and on the line. I think everything's working okay, dokey, finey. Is that right? Uh, yeah, um, your audio to me, I don't know if my audio to you is a little bit choppy. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call in and use my cell phone. All right. Do you want me to call yourself from Skypey Skype? Uh, sure. I think we could do that. Uh, do, 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 it's, do. it's cleared up, but I mean, what's my audio like to you? Sounds great. I got no uh, problem. Let's, well, well let's, let's leave it as it is for right now. And if okay. it does, then I'll... All right. Uh, you said that there were already some people who had called in, so let's perhaps not uh, have me with the talking and instead go with the brains of the outfit, a.k.a. the glorious listeners. Yes, all are from, and I, uh, you gave the number out, and I just want to let people know that there is a uh, click-to-talk feature using Blog Talk. So anybody that has a Blog Talk account, uh, it's free, blogtalkradio.com. Yeah, you can get that, but you know, as always, please make sure you're using a headset and a microphone. It's a closed circuit. Otherwise, you will annoy uh, not only me, but Stefan, and um, because it, we don't want feedback. The number uh, that the caller is calling from is uh, 937 area code. Go ahead. How do you do there, Steph? I'm just uh, great. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm finer than frog here again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for this uh, rumble in the jungle of your, uh, your brain, and I have a scenario for you um, and to see what you think. Uh, I was attending a developmental psychology class last week, and the topic of that day was to discuss the developmental changes current in early childhood. And one of the changes is that we start to use language to solve problems. And as the child progresses with language, they start to form private speech. And my professor was talking about this, and she said, in this, um, it, this private speech may be used to self-regulate. Uh, in other words, to plan, guide, and monitor their own behavior. I'm sorry, it's just want to make sure speech. I follow. You, you use the term private speech, is that right? Yes, private speech. And can you just tell me a little bit more about what that means? Private speech is, let me uh, refer to my textbook on this. It is, this is the use of self-regulation, private speech. Uh, for Piaget, uh, private speech is egocentric and immature, but for Vygotsky, it is important tool of thought during the early childhood years. So it's it's a form of it's a way that the child can uh, plan, guide, and monitor monitor their own behavior. So is it like if if the child falls down, the child can say to to him or herself, "It's okay, I'm fine," and soothe themselves that way? Is that what's meant by private speech? Absolutely, and it's just like your example where you uh, used to suckling your thumb to actually soothe yourself. Soothe yourself, yes. And okay, so, so it's it, it's a way it, yeah, of it's, just, it's a way of narrating experience 
to gain some sort of objective, not quite just in the moment, but, you know, sort of a, a child saying to, to himself, I'm thirsty now, but I will have something to drink very shortly and therefore it's okay, rather than a baby who doesn't have really the capacity to defer through language that way. Is that a fair approximation? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, or the baby will tell itself to go to sleep, you know, it's all right, just calm yourself down, go to sleep. You know, it, it would take on the mother's role. The mother's not in the bedroom. Right. So it's internalized a caregiver, uh, and we assume a good caregiver if the self-soothing is going to work. So the child has internalized a caregiver and can, uh, in a sense, think of a nursery rhyme or a, a sing-song, a lullaby, to, to help the child fall asleep. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Sorry. Just want to make sure I, we're on the same page as far as that goes. So please continue. Okay, so uh, she was saying this type of self-regulation can be prevalent in adulthood as well. And then my professor proceeded to try to find an example, but unfortunately she couldn't find an example at that moment. So I raised my hand up and asked, uh, would prayer be an example? And the shock, the horror, you know, there was a muffling of disagreement to the audacity of the claim. And then she started to stutter and say, well, uh, I'm just going to refer to my example. And so she proceeded to talk about uh, somebody being on the road and having a flat tire and then talking to himself to get himself through the, the process of fixing the tire. Right. Uh, so I didn't say anything after that until after class because, you know, we're on a, it, it's a time constraining schedule. So I didn't want to, you know, create too much of a ruckus. But anyway, so after class, uh, I, I addressed the question to her and she would not provide me with, uh, the idea that it could be a form of self-talk. Rather, she said it was just a form of therapy, and uh, she wouldn't she wouldn't even consider the fact that it could be a form of talk. And I guess it is a complicated and sensitive topic to discuss in class. However, it I think it was necessary to light other people's minds and have them thinking about this topic. I mean, it's a very prevalent thing in a lot of people's lives. And what the idea for me to ask the question due to uh, the idea arose for me is from one of your podcasts where you were talking about how prayer, you know, of course is highly illusory, but um, you can also tap into your unconscious. If Is that the correct uh, sort of claim uh, that you made? Yeah, I just, just to summarize, for those who haven't heard the argument, uh, uh, as a strong atheist, I don't obviously believe that people are talking to any kind of divine intelligence. Yet it is a practice that many people find helpful, which is the idea that you will sit down and you will ask for uh, some sort of wisdom or some sort of answer or some sort of comfort. And uh, I don't believe that people would continue to do that if it never worked at all. Uh, I think that there is a placebo effect, but I don't think it's just a placebo effect, like a sugar pill can help you with certain kinds of pain, if you believe it will. I think that when people ask questions of the universe, they're kind of dropping uh, a message in a bottle down the well of their unconscious, and we have a huge amount of accumulated wisdom, I believe, just just genetically and biologically and experientially and uh, and even to some degree socially. And so when people do ask questions of the universe they're in fact asking questions of their their inner deep wisdom and then they are receiving those of course i can't say that that's proven but i think it it certainly has worked for me uh, when i've asked questions of myself i've received some extraordinarily startling and wise i think i hope wise answers and i believe that prayer is a way of people being able to achieve that they do mistake it epistemologically by thinking that they're talking to a god rather than their own wisdom but uh, uh yeah so I, I i think that's a fair characterization that you you've put on my my ideas and i i thank you for that that's not as common as i'd like sometimes 
Oh, it's no problem. You know, I, I, uh, I value your opinion, your ideas, and uh, I try to bring this message out to the people and see what they think. And sometimes, like my professor, would not even address the problem or uh, address the situation further. Just decided to sort of clam up when something like that was. Well, uh, and and you know, I uh, I can sort of understand why, uh, but perhaps you have some thoughts about that as well. Uh, the only thing I can think of is possibly the time constraints and she may have just set opinion about it anyway. She, I, I didn't ask her about her religious beliefs, but she may have a set opinion that may be hindering her from further analyzing the question. Well, it, those could all be the case, right? And I certainly don't want to, uh, uh, you know, second guess anybody from a distance, particularly a psychology professor, but my opinion would be something like this. Uh, most people who study psychology um, have less of a belief in in God. This is my understanding, right? I can't give you references. I've read it somewhere, but I'm not going to say it's entirely proven. But the, and, and I'm thinking of, of Jung and, and Freud and other people like that, but it's true, I think, of more contemporary. Now, it's, there are Christian psychologists and this and that, right? But I'm just saying that a lot of people who study psychology have the understanding that uh, what people will often mistake internal phenomenon for an external phenomenon. And they also will have seen the studies where particular types of electrical stimulation can produce religious visions within the mind. The, a kind of epilepsy can produce religious visions down to the details of cherubs and angels with wings and so on. So there's lots of physiological explanations as to why people would have these rapturous visions and, and so on. And so... The people, like the people who study a lot of biology, tend to be less religious. It's like 92 or 93 percent of the members of the Royal Society of Science in England are atheists, like no believers whatsoever. So the more educated you tend to become in science or in something that's close to science, like psychology, the less likely you are to look for irrational or superstitious-based or divine explanations outside. So my guess, again, who knows, right? But my guess would be that she is uh, skeptical to some degree of religion. But I think if you look at the cost benefit for her as a professor, uh, you, you're calling from the States, right? Yeah. Right. So for this her. Is actually a California, Southern California professor. Okay. So she's a Wiccan. I got it. Um, but uh, <laughs> for, uh, for, for the professor, I, you know, look at the cost benefit. I mean, if she says. No, that is, yes, that is self-soothing because there is no God, and therefore uh, people are mistaking this kind of self-talk for, um, uh, for communication with a fictitious deity and blah, blah, blah. Well, for sure, there's going to be some religious people in the room, right? Right. And they're going to get highly offended, and they're going to say that, uh, you know, she's stepping out of bounds, that she, she is a psychology professor, not a theologian, she shouldn't be comp uh, com commenting on these things, and they may very well get upset, and they may write letters, and they may get, you know, angry, and they may start protesting. Like, you, you don't know, right? But it certainly is possible. That is definitely true. Now, on the other hand, if she says, um, yes, prayer is uh, is talking to Jesus who, you know, sits on your shoulder like a, uh, a sort of vaguely glowing leprechaun and whispers wise things into your ear while all the, for, all the time stigmatering all over your, your shirt collar, right? Uh, then she's going to be, uh, she's going to alienate people who are more um, uh, atheist or agnostic or those who are not Christians. 
Um, or those, you know, uh, if she says single God, then she may offend Hindus who believe in thousands of gods, right? So no matter how she's going to answer that, she's going to offend people or, or con- make people upset. And those people are, could then could then make her life uh, difficult and problematic. They could lodge a grievance against her. It goes on her permanent record. She has to spend time documenting. She has to go to sensitivity classes. I mean, whenever you take a stand on anything, and I can tell you this from some experience, whenever you take a stand on anything, you will inevitably anger people uh, who, who don't have good reasons for, for their beliefs and don't want to have that exposed. So I can completely understand why she would have no particular desire to tackle the topic and would have fogged and vagued her way out of the situation um, where I, in her shoes, um, I would almost certainly do the same thing, which is why, well, one of the many reasons I'm not in, in that particular position. I like the freedom to be able to speak uh, using reason and evidence without fear of, uh, of, of consequences from people who are offended by rationality. So, I, I mean, I would, I would do the same thing. What is the cost benefit to her for answering that in a way that is going to antagonize uh, for sure, no matter which way she cuts it, some people? Right, right. I, I, I see what you mean when you say that. It's, it's definitely, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, lot of factors involved in it. And, uh, I guess, I guess I just had that urge to just ask that question, you know, it, it, in my mind at that moment. And, and she doesn't, sorry, she doesn't, sorry to interrupt, but she also, when you ask that question, she doesn't really know whether you're setting a trap or not. You know, oh, whether you're yeah, actually okay. a Christian saying, well, what do you think of, of Jesus, right? She's just, why, why would she mm-hmm. want to get into it? She's there to teach psychology, not to determine questions of, of godhood or non-godhood. And uh, she probably has some, some beliefs privately, who knows what they are. I would guess that they would tend more towards atheism or agnosticism. But um, uh, there's, there's just no benefit uh, to her. It, it's why bad teachers in the public school system don't get fired. Right. Because it takes two years and, you know, thousands of pages of paperwork and they can lodge grievances against you and they can make your life difficult and they can have strikes and they, they can just make your life difficult. The cost benefit is just not uh, is not there. Uh, and this is why these kinds of institutions tend to promote this kind of bland, middle of the road, noncommittal, non-value based in a way, I would say moral mediocrity, which is not to say that the studies in psychology are mediocre, but the stands that are taken tend to be um, pretty wishy-washy, pretty, and this is why in so much of education that is state-related, and university is state-related for sure, you end up without uh, any fundamental moral stance being taken because um, you're just going to anger people. You're just going to anger people, and the, you know, angry and irrational people uh, can make your life uh, challenging, and what's really the benefit? I mean, there's not much win, and there's a whole lot of loss. Right, right. And so I, I, I see. So if you just sort of go through the motions of sitting in a classroom and not really doing your own sort of research or your own uh, questioning of the information, then you're just going to have a pretty bland educational experience. And I guess it's up to us to actually go out there and, and just sort of like research ourselves because we won't find the entirety of the, the topic in the classroom. Well, I, I think for sure, I mean, if you think of, I mean, the ideal purpose of education is not to teach you conclusions, but to teach you a methodology of thinking, right? Like the purpose of a mathematical education is not to have you memorize every possible multiplication or division of numbers and have every result in your head, but to teach you how to process 
mathematical calculations and arrive at your own conclusions. Uh, the ideal, I think, for education is to teach you how to think, not what to think. Uh, that certainly is how I'm trying to approach parenting, which is to not teach my daughter conclusions like there is no God uh, or, you know, the state is immoral or anything. I'm not, I mean, because teaching her conclusions would be useless uh, and, and I think would actually be uh, somewhat destructive to her capacity for reasoning and, and evidence. And also it's kind of arrogant as a parent, just by the by, I think, to say, well, I have all the answers and here, here they are, right? Which is to say that it's not a two-way street. I mean, sure, I'm absolutely sure that my daughter is going to be smarter than I am which is not hard at times. And, uh, and genetically, she's just going to be, you know, every generation gets more intelligent. And uh, so she's going to have a lot to teach me. And, and so I want to teach her methodology so that she can also instruct me. Uh, and I think that that's the ideal of, of an education, which is to teach you uh, how to think, how to reason, uh, and to give you scope for creativity, not to teach you um, conclusions. So I view it as um, a launch pad, not uh, a, a um, it's like a place where you launch off into the space uh, into the stratosphere of your own capacities, not an airline, uh, you know, a flight where somebody else is piloting you to a safe landing. Right. Okay. Definitely. I do. Uh, I do appreciate it. I do appreciate uh, this discussion and you addressing all these uh, various things. Um, thank you very much for everything that you do as well. Oh, I really appreciate that, and thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you for calling in. It was an excellent, excellent question. And uh, uh, are you taking uh, psychology uh, in school, or is it sort of a, a by the by that you're passing through? Well, yes, that's that's my first major. I'm majoring in psychology and biology, so um, just uh, I'm just I don't know if I want to actually continue psychology in graduate school. Um, I'm being sort of drawn towards more to biology. And so we'll see what happens. I'm almost done with my uh, psychology major, but I'm getting into biology as well just to, to see how that's going. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very I'm very interested in psychology, but I don't know how – I'm not really sure what kind of jobs are out in the market that I would particularly like to do. I you mean, mean in, in the psychological field? Doing research. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could, of course, be a psychologist, right? Like be a therapist, right, a counselor. Right. I mean, that's, you know, to, to get the master's level, I don't know where you are, what the rules are, but usually a master's level or certainly a PhD will give you the right to to do that. And you could, I mean, this is just, you know, do whatever you want, of course, right? But as, you know, far, as far as possibilities go, you can, uh, you know, become a psychologist, help people. I think your interest in philosophy will only help you uh, in that field. And, uh, you know, you can uh, start a clinic, you can hire 10 psychologists, you can, uh, you know, do some real good in the world, helping people with their personal issues. Um, but, you know, this is just, you know, it's a possibility. There's lots of things you can do other than research with, uh, with a psych degree, which, of course, I don't have, but this is what I hear, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, uh, much, a lot of kudos to, uh, the therapists and, uh, the, the psychologists out there to actually really, uh, have this one-on-one correspondence with people. Um, but yeah, as, as for me, uh, I don't know if I could fill those shoes because, uh, it, it just seems like you're thinking about all, everybody else's problems as well as your own. You just have these accumulations of, you know, all these rocks, I mean, your own rocks with your own problems and it's other people's problems. And I think in a year or so, I would just become crazy thinking about all these problems. I probably would lose, lose sleep at night. So, Look, I mean, it can happen, um, I'm sure. But um, uh, helping people 
uh, is, um, and this is pretty well established uh, scientifically, and you can do the research. Of course, you'll have access to all the materials through your school, but helping other people is a primary ingredient to happiness. Uh, and, uh, and so, yes, uh, I'm sure it is the case that you carry other people's burdens, but you also lighten their load, and lightening their load also lightens your load. And so uh, it is not like people just keep piling rocks and you do until your legs squish like an accordion, not two accordions, right? Uh, that uh, helping other people does lift your own burdens within life. Uh, it puts things in perspective. You have uh, a great deal of satisfaction in the process of helping people uh, towards uh, the truth, towards honesty, towards openness and communication in their relationships. Uh, their happiness, uh, they, they're discarding their rocks through the tutelage of a good therapist, I believe. And in, in that process, the therapist rocks are also discarded. And I think that's, I think that's how it works. And that would be my, my you know, way of looking at it. But of course, if you're interested, the thing to do, in my opinion, is A, I mean, I suggest this to everyone. And I don't even know you, right? But I, I suggest it anyway, that anybody who wants to take on great things in the world or even medium things in terms of achieving goodness uh, and spreading virtue um, and truth and happiness, uh, I, I always suggest that people take take therapy, you know, try it. You, you'll probably get it for free through your school and you'll get a chance to, to see what it's like. And I think, I think every therapist should be on the receiving end. Uh, and I know some therapists actually have to, like you have to take therapy in order to be a therapist. Uh, and so I would, I would suggest that. I mean, I think that's just an important thing to do. It's like having uh, a coach, right? It's not like physiotherapy, like you're all messed up and you need to get fixed up. But I think it's more like I want to achieve great things. I want to be a great athlete, so I need a great coach. And I think that's what a therapist is. And see what it's like on the receiving end. And, uh, and also then, you know, see if you can talk to a couple of therapists who've had some experience and say, uh, how did you deal with this issue? Or is this even an issue, right? Again, uh, as somebody who studies uh, science, you want to get the facts as much as possible and not prejudge the situation. So those would be my two suggestions. You know, get a bit of therapy yourself uh, to see what it's like on the receiving end and also talk to a couple of therapists and see whether that's even an issue uh, or um, whether or not, uh, uh, or how they deal with it if it is. Absolutely. That's a good point there. Um, I'd, I'd never thought of it like that. Just sort of um, putting, uh, getting into the shoes of somebody who is actually receiving therapy. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to definitely look into that in my school, and I'm, I'm sure we do have something like that that is free. And then, yeah, there's plenty of therapists out there that I can talk to since I'm in a psychology program. Yeah, I mean, um, if you like biology uh, more, by all means, but I would just, you know, if you if you do love philosophy and the truth and you're interested in psychology, I mean, obviously, I would prefer it, but not that my preference means anything whatsoever, but at least I would prefer it if you explored that and didn't prejudge about how good or bad it might be. Right, right. Uh, I'll definitely do that because, I mean, it's, it, yeah, I've sort of been having sort of a closed view towards it, and I should be more open to um, the idea of doing therapy. I, I sort of just made up my mind and said, well, you know, if I talk to all these people, I'll become crazy myself, but <laughs> I need to have more of an open view and actually talk to people about this, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and it is a recognized... Sorry, it is a recognized problem as far as I understand it within the therapeutic community. Uh, so uh, there, there are ways in which I think you, will, you may be trained to deal with those situations or you may, you may be under supervision for the first couple of years so that you don't uh, internalize and take on everybody's problem. I mean, it is a recognized issue uh, in the therapeutic community that you don't want to be, you know, everybody's, you know, carrying around 400 pounds of luggage every day. Uh, so it is, since it is a recognized issue, there are things, I believe, in place 
that uh, either help prevent that or help you manage it if it should occur. Uh, so again, I would just say look into it if you're interested in that kind of stuff because, I mean, I think you can do a great deal of good uh, in, in that field. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And um, you take care and have a great day and then you get off the phone. Uh, thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, best of luck. Keep me posted if you can. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All righty, Mr. JJ, do we have a... How did I know you were going to talk to me? <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, we do have some more callers. Uh, they don't have their hands up, but I'll try them. Um, hey, sorry, do they just have their fingers up or...? Well, normally there's a hand on the screen. Oh, I see, so okay. They're either calling to just listen using their phone, or if there's a hand up, they didn't, you know, they forgot to press the button or whatever. So let's just try this. Uh, caller from area code 424, you are on the air. Hi, Steph. Um, I had a quite, like kind of like a follow-up from my question from last week. Two weeks ago. Last week? Yeah, last week. This is Marissa. Okay. Yeah, I had go for a question it. about, um, yeah. So uh, I just, I wanted to let you know that uh, the conversation was really helpful. I got a chance to talk to um, the the people about the uh, them not responding to my emails, and it was a really productive conversation. Uh, so, so thank you for that. And then, um, just, just to remind you, it was kind of about like, uh, sorry. Uh, no, I remember you were trying to get, it was a, 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 a cooking thing going. Is that right? Right. Yes, exactly. And, and what happened was I felt, uh, I, I was kind of like feeling like, like I was taking it personally that they weren't, um, you know, like expressing their preferences or like responding to my email right away. Right. And you used the metaphor that it was like both of our histories were kind of like falling on us and we were blaming each other. Right. So, yeah, and I, I had like a I had a follow up question on that. I was wondering if you had any like uh, uh, secret ninja tricks to like um, to like kind of prevent that from happening or <laughs> like to, to, to be more aware of, of like how to prevent that. No, I mean, that that's a fantastic, fantastic question. Um, I sure wish I did have a secret ninja trick. <laughs> I really do. Uh, <laughs> I, I really I really do. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of do, but uh, it's it's not a secret. Um, th th there, there are two components, I believe, to continually successfully negotiating some of the uh, ro roadblocks or or problems within within relationships the first is a is is a sort of rigorous commitment to self-knowledge right to, to know to know yourself uh and so uh, if you have uh so if you know yourself you'll say well uh whenever i try to get things going i feel anxiety because in the past they didn't go well and i'd get frustrated and i'd get bottled up and so on so you would have that knowledge that going into it ahead of time there was going to be uh an issue and so that, that is the first thing um, that, that I would suggest. Because then knowing it, it's not like you know it going in, right? So for instance, I mean, from my own life, uh, when I was uh, younger, uh, I would try – I've never been good at uh, throwing parties. I mean, I, I threw a couple when I was a teenager that were relatively successful. And then a couple more sort of when I was in the theater world sort of – but that was all, you know, like closing night parties when kind of everybody wanted to be there and so on. But then when I was in my master's, I tried throwing some parties and, uh, you know, everybody would say they would come. 
but uh, but they wouldn't. I kind of lived a little bit out of the way. And, you know, it's just that I'd, I've never been, you know, there are some people they just kind of snap their fingers and their background turns into some sort of beer commercial. You know, it's just everybody's in bikinis <laughs> and dancing and there's lambadas and there's fire breathing and dragons slowly circling overhead. And, you know, they, some people can just kind of snap their fingers and they have that social magnetism, that social gravitational pull that just wonderful things start to happen around them. Uh, I'm not one of those people no. at all. I never have been. I've known a couple of people like that and I've really envied that ability. I don't I don't have it. So when I first began to, uh, you know, when we first talked about, like, it'd be really nice to meet some people who listen to the show. You know, we'll have a barbecue. We'll sing some silly songs at karaoke or whatever it is that we wanted to do. Uh, I was sort of aware going into it, you know, that I was going to have some struggle with... Um, uh, if people said they wanted to and didn't show or, you know, if we sort of went to all of this, you know, getting a, plan, a party going is kind of a, a, it's a big struggle, right? You got to do a lot of stuff. And if people don't show, it's not only is it, is it kind of painful, but also you, you know, at least spent a lot of money getting, getting all the food and all that. But also you have this challenge that you're kind of disappointed and perhaps angry, but there are still people there and <laughs> you don't want to just sit there and bitch, right? right? So that's an additional right. challenge that you kind of have to put that aside and be enthusiastic. And some things have worked out really well, like the barbecues have been a lot of fun. And some things, you know, we had a book club for a while. Well, actually, we had a book club once. <laughs> um, and there was a salon thing that we tried a couple of times that, that didn't really work out. But I sort of knew ahead of time that that was going to be uh, uh, an issue. I also knew ahead of time that I don't have that kind of social magnetism that just makes people want to jump into my Smirnoff commercial, so to speak, right? So... So knowing that ahead of time helped a lot. Um, and I think it took the pressure off because when people feel that you kind of working through some stuff through throwing a party, you know, like you have to come, otherwise I'm a social failure or whatever. They feel resistance because they feel like they don't want to do that for you in a sense. Like they don't want to come because you'll be upset if you're not, if they're not there or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so I think knowing that ahead of time is really important. And I think also, uh, you know, just that honesty with other people, you know, uh, I'm, a, you know, because our, our general tendency when people don't like someone makes a commitment and then they don't do it is to say, I'm mad because you failed in your commitment to me. And we tend to get all heavy and moralistic about that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying it's good right. to not follow through on your commitments, but we tend because we're hurt, we tend to not talk about our feelings, but we tend to talk about heavy kind of moral obligations, you know, like, you know, everybody said they were going to come, you know, I'm doing this out of my own goodwill. The least I could expect from a decent people, a decent bunch of people is some kind of civilized response. Like we tend to get kind of, I'm not saying you did this, right? I'm not saying I've ever done this, but this is kind of what goes in, on in our heads sometimes. Because we can't be vulnerable, we become moralistic. And that I right. think is, is a real problem. And I think if you have to, I mean, this is why moralizing doesn't really work. And, and I, I know that I'm all, on all kinds of thin ice here, right? So I'll just sort of say this and people can tell me uh, how, how Mr. Moralizing says that moralizing doesn't work. But fundamentally, moralizing doesn't work because if you have to tell people, like, let's say, you know, I, I, you, you and I arrange to meet for lunch or whatever and you don't even show up. Well, if I have to tell you as an adult that it's important to show up to a social engagement or to call to cancel in a reasonable amount of time ahead, unless there's some you know weird emergency, if I genuinely believe that you lack the sense and basic human decency and empathy to do to either show up or say you're not going to, then there's no I don't think there's any possibility of any kind of real relationship, right? Because I can't teach you that. You know what I mean? 
And uh, right. yeah, I can come yeah. down morally on you heavily, but you know, that's probably why you didn't show up to begin with because people have moralized and you've got this resistance and so on, right? So I can talk sure. about how I felt if I feel that we can have a relationship. Now, if I feel that, you know, this is just too weird, I, we can't have a relationship, then um, uh, then moralizing won't help. I think we, we moralize because we are hurt, but we don't want to be vulnerable. I think it's important to explore why we don't want to be vulnerable and honest in certain relationships rather than fall back on, you know, pulling the big moralizing lever that, you know, the, the sky falls in around people. And I think it's just just so heavy, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense for sure. I mean, I, I had to, um, sorry, I know I'm luxury here, but it, it just sort of struck me that a, a friendship that I had uh, with a fellow I, I met when I had my first programming job, he, he and I, um, uh, he helped me to, I was a bit of, I was a real workaholic and, you know, it was my very first programming job. I had no training and so I was, uh, uh, you know, pretty nervous and wanted to do a good job. And he was, you know, he was a good mentor in that sense. And we became friends for a couple of years, he was actually on the volleyball team where I ended up meeting Christina. Uh, so, um, you know, thanks to him. But uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, things began to go sort of awry in the relationship. And then at one point, uh, we, we were supposed to meet he and uh, uh, his his wife uh, was supposed to meet Christina and I for uh, some pool and, and, and dancing and so on. And uh, so we went down to the place, which was kind of out of the way, and they just never showed up. Now, that's kind of tough, right? Because... You, you don't want to just go play pool and dance. You kind of want to look for them coming, right? So you're kind of stuck hanging around the entrance and you can't really relax and get into it. I tried calling a couple of times and then um, finally uh, got through and, and the fellow said, um, what did he say? Something like, uh, I said, well, where are you guys, right? And he's like, oh, uh, my wife uh, was tired, so she just went to bed, right? And <laughs> I was like, I was, I was, you know, things had not been going well for a while and we don't have to get into th into why, but I was like, part of me was like, well, what do you mean she went to bed? How come you wouldn't call? Right? All this kind of stuff. But then another right, part of me was right, like, right. well, if he's going to actually, in a sense, look me in the eye and tell me that that is a reasonable answer as to what's <laughs> going on, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what to say to somebody right. who says, oh, we didn't show up because she got tired and she, she went to bed. And we didn't call. Like, how, how do you even, how do you say something? So at that point, it was like, okay, well, I, I guess we're kind of done, right? Because I just didn't, I didn't know what to say. And I think that's an important thing. Now, you could, if I, because I was hurt and upset, and also I was a little embarrassed because, you know, Christine and I were fairly new dating. And it was like, here are my quality friends. <laughs> you know, they tell us to meet them. Right. They tell us to meet them somewhere. And they don't show up. And then they get, this, you know, it was a little embarrassing for me. But, of course, Christina was fine. But, um but it's when you get to that point where it's like, you know, I don't even like my I, I don't even know what to say. I, that, that to me, I think, is where we, we have this tendency to moralize because we're angry. We want to we kind of want the other person to self attack. So we moralize them. And I think that's not a wise thing to do. Right. No. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense for sure. So just kind of like try to try to just stay aware of what kind of like I'm sensitive to. Right. And and then. Uh, just kind of be aware of what I'm thinking and, uh, yeah, don't, don't, uh, just because I'm feeling hurt, like don't try to, uh, moralize. Right. Like, like yeah, you I, owe me an apology. Like that's something that, that I've kind of been, been guilty of. Like I, I get into this mind state, like, like you owe me an apology because you hurt me. But I mean, I, I don't think that has to do with like 
that person. It's just my my history, probably. I think. Well, yeah. I mean, I think once you know yourself well enough, then I think you can you can become more certain about those things. But I think early on in the place, uh, in in the phase of self knowledge and really bringing openness to your to your relationships, if you're mm-hmm. upset by something, I don't think when you start out down the road of self knowledge, I don't think it's fair to say a hundred percent of my upset is coming from the other person's actions. I, I think that's, right. that's, that's, that's going, that's just too far. I don't think anybody, like, so for instance, right, a bunch of people didn't come to my parties when I was 27 or whatever, right? And so if somebody doesn't come mm-hmm. to, doesn't show up at FDR, is it 100% that it's all them and nothing to do with my history and nothing to do with old scar tissue or wounds or disappointments or frustrations or unprocessed things that I have? I'm not confident enough to say that. Right. And I think in order to avoid avoid that history, we tend to moralize on other people and say it's 100 percent you. But I think that it's so important to say this is why, you know, in the RTR book, I sort of say I'm upset and I'm not going to say that I know why. I I don't know why. I know that Mm -hmm. I'm upset, but I'm not going to I'm not going to come up with some easy answer that says, well, it's 100 percent you. It's zero percent me. And it's immoral what you're doing. You know, whatever it is that we come up with. Right. Because I think we then rob ourselves. Right. Of, of trying to really figure out what's going on, what's going on for the other person. We also don't know why they didn't uh, show up or, or do what they said they were going to do. What, what is going on for them? If you break through that, break through your own cycle, break through their cycle, you can get some real intimacy and some real knowledge of, of yourself and another person and gain great skills in negotiation. I think that's, uh, that's really important. Absolutely. Definitely. And I was saying on a call the other day, um, uh, so I think it's going to be a premium call, but I was sort of saying that you, when you have a conflict with someone, you can actually have a powerful enough, if you're honest and vulnerable enough, a powerful enough communication that you're actually glad that the conflict arose afterwards. You're like, wow, if that hadn't arisen, I wouldn't have learned all this about myself and about you. You can sure. actually, because we all like, yeah. oh my God, I don't want conflict. I don't want to have a, a fight with someone. I don't want to have conflict. But there is a way of talking through conflict, if you're honest and vulnerable enough, that you can actually be enormously glad that the conflict came up afterwards. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've, I've actually experienced that before. It's, it's just like really, really productive to, uh, you know, explore that and, and learn about what's going on for me and what's going on for the other person. And yeah, you're right. It does. It does bring you closer together. And remember, I'm not just talking about makeup sex. Anyway, uh, just just to be clear, uh, just to be clear, because you know we can't have that with everyone because laws. And anyway, so I just want to mention that. Right, right. Does that does that help? I know that was a bit long winded, but I hope that uh, that helps. Yeah, that was very helpful. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and uh, once more, keep on me posted. All right, thanks. Thanks. Uh, one one once more, the call in number three four seven six three three nine six three six. If you would like to uh, chat about philosophy, which is the all-discipline, uh, pan-dimensional, uh, multi-cosmological, uh, whatever it is that is on your mind, uh, I would certainly be more than happy to listen to. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimbo? We do have, have, uh, yep, we do have uh, more callers. Um, caller from area code 215. You are live on the air with the Fraser Crane Show. I mean, uh, Stefan Molyneux, Free Domain Radio Show. Do us on the sink. Go ahead. Hello. Are you there? I sure am. How you doing? Hi. Uh, Steph, it's me, Nate. Oh, hi. It's me, Steph. 
I just haven't talked to you in a while, so. Um, yeah, that's true. I, 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 um, pretty great. Um, fantastic, and that's part of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, just some rank praise uh, for you. Well, um, let me just be quiet, and you can have the entire rest of the show. I'm going to get comfortable and get the uh, small Jamaican fellow to peel me some grapes. But please go ahead. I'll start the uh, lavender oil and uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I I just I can't tell you how much happier I am now, just compared to even a year ago. It, it's <laughs> it's like you were uh, you turned out to be right, and and on the other side there is just almost a, a drug like <laughs> um, glee. <laughs> And in this, like, in like nine times out of ten, there. I mean, there's a few, you know, annoying little things that happen here and there, but it's like a nine out of ten times. Uh, just with all the changes that I've made, I, I'm endlessly and forever just in your debt because it's it's you've 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 gotten me here just through the through the guidance, and I know I've done a lot all the work, but you've you've done Without you, I wouldn't have known what work to do. So, Well, I appreciate that. I sort of view philosophy and maybe myself to a smaller degree. You know, it's kind of like there are some landing lights below on the fog. Uh, you've got to do all the landing, right? You've got to you've got to stick that landing, and you've got to coast to a stop, and you've got to not go na- nose nose ground and nose down into the tarmac. But there are a few lights which can really, I think, help guide. And uh, so I know I know it's you with the sweaty hands on the stick, uh, so to speak. Um, but uh, uh, I really do appreciate that. And just for those who haven't uh, uh, don't know anything about Nate, uh, he is um, uh, you've been in, I think floating around philosophy and psychology, at least in, in sort of this aspect of the conversation, uh, sort of self-knowledge and, and philosophy, uh, two and a half years? Am I am I right about that? No longer. Three, three, three years? and a half. Like, three and a half years, I, right. Almost as long as the show. Almost as long as the show. And yeah, because we've been, I've been doing this for, uh, it's coming up for four years now, two and a half years full time. And uh, you've, uh, I mean, we've had a number of conversations, which I think have been helpful. Uh, You had an engagement, you ended up uh, ending that. You also ended a couple of other relationships. And uh, you, um, uh, you've you've done uh, a lot of therapy. Are you still in therapy? Is that right? No, no, I've graduated from that, I think. Although, I, I do, I do wonder if I may need some, as you suggested once when I when I finally start dating again, I, I haven't met anybody. So right. Right. Uh, I, I did mention something in an email to you about meeting someone that, um, that I was interested in, but that that's a whole nother conversation. So sure. Uh, and, it, and, and I, I think just, uh, uh, I certainly, sorry, I remember a conversation where you were saying that you only had a few, uh, you know, seconds or minutes of happiness a day. And, uh, uh, I just, I mean, I'm incredibly thrilled that uh, you know, self knowledge and and therapy has uh, has has helped, and and I I mean I believe that it does. I mean it, it's been my path, uh, it's been the path of a number of other people that I know both personally and through the web, and uh, it it does feel like you're just never going to get there. Sometimes when you're slogging up the side of that mountain using you know your teeth and freezing your eyelashes to glacial rocks to pull yourself up, it does feel like you're never going to get there. And there's lots of people saying, "Come on, you'll do it. It'll happen, right?" And you're like, "No, it won't happen. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get there." And then it's like, "Boom! Oh wait, I'm here." And uh, it is yeah, an amazing thing, and it's you can't communicate it very well other than through encouragement ahead of time. But sorry, go on. 
I just can say, I can comfortably say in comparison to what I said, like three or four minutes a day. And now it's like 23 hours and maybe 30 minutes and 30 minutes of that is where I might stub my toe or um, it might rain while I'm on my bike and I'm don't, I'm not like prepared or like, uh, I think it got cold, too cold once and I didn't bring my jacket to work. I'm not used to this cold weather now that I've moved, but um, just little stressful things like that, that aren't really a big deal. But, uh, you know, 23 hours and three, 23 and a half hours. Well, maybe some of that I'm sleeping, but I'm even dreaming. <laughs> hey, you can be happy in your sleep too, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm enormously thrilled. And, uh, uh, it, it, it is a ridiculous thing for me to say, as you say, I mean, you've done almost all the work. So it's a ridiculous thing for me to say that I'm proud, uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm impressed. I think, uh, I'm honored to know you. I'm impressed uh, at the work that you've done, uh, I would certainly commend your therapist and, and commend the work that, that you guys have done together. Uh, I would also commend your uh, willingness because you were definitely a serial monogamist to say the least, right? Uh, I would, you know, right. I hugely respect that. Uh, I hugely respect the, um, uh, I know that you were never a particularly strong uh, uh, on that way, but I, you know, some of the self-medication that you were doing, I hugely commend you for, for ditching all of that. I just, you know, it's, it's just, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to see. And, uh, I just, you know, congratulate you and enormously impressed. And, uh, I am uh, enormously thrilled to have been, uh, uh, any kind of part of that. So, um, that's my, uh, my massive kudos to you. Mwah! Well done. <laughs> oh, and, uh, I, I got a, uh, a tenant for my house already. It's oh, fantastic. Been like three weeks I've been here. So, and they signed on a two year lease. So I'm, <laughs> I'm totally sad. It's like $50 more than what I pay. <laughs> well, that's so fantastic. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's it's, fantastic. it's just like, I love being here up here closer to the, to the other people who are doing the same thing. And it's just wonderful. And, um, just to sort of segue from, all of this, now that I've, you know, loaded all this, all this rank praise on top of you. Um, <laughs> uh, segue what, what Marisa was talking about to some degree, I think, um, just in certain principles, but, um, this, this is something that I've been hesitating on, on having a conversation with you until I've gotten everyone else's experience. And, now, oh, sorry, Greg. this is something that you had emailed me about, and I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to have the combo. Do you want to do it outside oh, no, the no, no, no. Sunday show? It's not the same one. Not the same. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I, I, just, I already processed a lot of that, so it, it, that may, or we may or may not benefit from having that conversation. I don't know. Yeah, but um, yeah, this is a different topic, <laughs> something that I've been sort of holding out on because I just wasn't sure what everyone else's experience was. And, um, you know, I've, I've, they've, they've said that they share the same experience quite often. And I know this, like it, just rationally it, and empirically, it just based on what, even what you just said at the very beginning of the call, just to acknowledge all of that, it, it can't be your responsibility. This, this these feelings, I can't lay this, the responsibility on you. And, and maybe, you know, I'm open to the possibility that you are, but I, I just, I, it wouldn't, I can't imagine how. And, but there's a degree of insecurity 
that I still sometimes feel, and I don't know if this is because of the respect I have you have for you as um, someone who's has a great degree of credibility with me, um, and of course, credibility, earned credibility, I guess, is, is is how you gain a sort of authority. So, in a way, you're sort of an authority figure, at least in the area of philosophy and 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 life and happiness. Uh, I think so. I mean, you have all the the credibility there with me, and um, I I feel a certain degree of insecurity just um, because. We've met several times. We've known each other for a while, and sometimes I feel invisible to you, or like I like I'm. Um, and I've tried putting myself in your shoes just to try and get an idea, but sometimes I feel so, um, sort of like jealous or insecure or. Um, What is the feeling? Um, oh, a, a great degree of anxiety, like when someone else gets praise, mm. and um, like, oh, well, where, where am I? You know, what? Why? Why is? Why doesn't he respond to my? Oh, he responded to your email. Why isn't he responding to my email? Um, right, right. And then just putting yourself in myself in your shoes, I can imagine you're getting three billion emails a day, and you just you're overwhelmed, and you've got Isabella and you're paying, you're putting most of your attention to her, thank goodness. And um, I, I have all these reasons, you know, why that just, and, and telling myself that over and over again doesn't seem to just make these feelings go away. Sure, sure. And I don't know why they don't just go away, no matter how much I rationalize, no matter how much I look at the empirical evidence, no matter how much I look... Deep. Right. I I still feel like like oh Steph thinks like I get these thoughts in my head that say oh Steph thinks I'm annoying or Steph thinks I'm uh, like I I annoyed him too much with all of my problems over the past three years and I was just too much work and <laughs> right. I was too much uh, I was too problematic or I was too this or that right right and. I don't know what your experience is. I mean, I mean, you've told me this at the beginning of the call to some degree, but I mean, is that your experience of me or that I mean, you've I've, been, uh, you've burdened me with too many problems and you're annoying. Yeah. No, no, no. No. Um, I mean, I can share some of my thoughts if you like. And, and first of all, I mean, that's a tough thing to bring up. Uh, and, and I really do appreciate you bringing that. I mean, it's a very vulnerable and honest thing to bring up. And I really, really just want to, you know, respect and honor you for bringing that up. That is a difficult, difficult topic to bring up. So, you know, again, kudos and, and fantastic for doing it. And I don't want to interrupt if you have more that you want to say, but I'm certainly happy to give you some of my thoughts on it. Well, I, I, I don't want to unacknowledge that we've had we've scraped across this. Uh, <laughs> I guess we've touched on this topic before very lightly in the chat room one time and I, I go back and reread that every time I feel this way. Um, you may not remember, I, it's, you've had so many conversations, but it, 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 there was a conversation about my insecurity around you that, that I was um, saying 
that it was sort of a self attack on my own self on my self esteem and it was keeping my self esteem down because I was saying Steph is virtuous and Steph doesn't like me, therefore I'm bad. Right. Um but that hasn't helped for some reason. And sure, sure. these feelings are still there. And so I, I guess that's all I have to add. So shoot. Right. Okay. Um I mean I'm not going to explain the logistics of, you know, I have uh, a lot of people have had conversations with me that um, may, may have been the first time it may have been. And I think for a lot of people, it has been the first time where they have felt, uh, you know, really listened to, really connected with that somebody has, uh, you know, zeroed in on something that is useful, uh, whether it's in philosophy or self-knowledge or whatever. And they've they felt sort of really connected for the first time. And that that can be quite a a it's both an exciting and a painful experience, right? Because it's like, you know, really connected with someone, but at the same time, I also have to acknowledge the lack of connection that I may have had hitherto, right? So it, it, that, that first connection uh, is, is really, really um, quite, quite intense uh, for, for some people. Uh, and so I, I fully understand that. Uh, it kind of opens up a kind of hunger that sometimes people don't, didn't even know they had, right? Like if all you've had is white bread and then someone gives you a lovely steaming garlic baguette or something, then it's like, well, I didn't know that white bread sucked until I tried the baguette, so to speak, right? So uh, I can understand that people who have that kind of connection, if it happens to come through me, and it may come through other people, but if it happens to come through me, there is that desire for connection that is associated with the conversation with me. And there's a feeling that if that can, if I'm not participating or if I'm not responding to, you know, in whatever particular time frame, and Lord knows I'm not perfect in this, right? I mean, uh, I have to sort of snatch time for FDR from, you know, that's going to fade from Isabella, right? So that's going to change over time and I'll be able to spend more time in the future. But uh, it's, uh, it's a real challenge at the moment. Uh, that will diminish, I think, within the next few months. But uh, it's certainly the first year. She's also, I mean, just an, an enormously exciting handful. So, so I think there is that sense of like, uh, there's this connection and then, uh, there is this, you know, feeling of perhaps rejection or being ignored or something like that. That's very painful for people because that kind of need has been awoken or that hunger or that connection has been awoken. And then it's not reciprocated in a way that is satisfying uh, for me. Right. And I certainly always apologize to people if I, where I can for that. Um, but, uh, uh, so, so there's that, that aspect, which I think that I understand, but the thing which, which I want to really sort of get across to you, Nate, is that there's nothing that you can look for in me that you cannot get from yourself or from others. There's nothing that I could conceivably bring to the table in any conversation or relationship with you that you cannot fundamentally and eventually get from yourself. And I think, and I know that that's not particularly helpful because like, well, how do I get it for myself? I understand that that doesn't solve the problem, right? But, but fundamentally, you know, it is, it is very important. Uh, and this is true for, for everyone. And I'm not saying everyone does this, but for the people who do, it is very, very important to not look upon me as any kind of authority, to not look upon me as anybody who can provide answers that you cannot provide for yourself. I mean, there's a reason I say everyone's a genius and everyone's a philosopher. Right. There is nothing unique or special or or magical about my brain that uh, that can produce all of these things that that other people. Right. You don't need me for garlic bread. You can you can make your own garlic bread and it will actually taste better because you'll have control over that rather than I hope Steph drops, throws some garlic bread at me as he bikes past my house or whatever. But um, uh, I think I think that's really, really fundamental that 
there is an inevitable tendency, and I've gone, look, I've gone through it with other thinkers, right? I went through it with, with a bunch of other thinkers that I've talked about in the show to look upon those, well, they have the answer, right? They, they have the answer. Uh, they, they know, right? I just need to look it up. And I'm not saying that's you in particular, but there is this idea that there is a, a, an authority out there who, uh, who can provide us with uh, the solutions or with the answers. The problem is that makes I've us passive and that makes us wait. That. <laughs> I'm sorry? I, I've, I've come to recognize that um, I, I do try to resist that. There are a lot of questions that I think of to ask you, then I realize I can answer them on my own. Ah, yes, and exactly. That's exactly. why you hear less and less from me because I've already figured it out and I don't need to ask you. And it's like, and I'm starting to realize my capacity for being able to solve problems. And this, and this carries over into work because I, I'm in a problem-solving job where uh, I'm continuously solving problems. And I less and less have to rely on coworkers, and I can, I can figure it out for myself. And if I really, you know, if I've, if I've tapped all the resources, I've talked to everybody, then, then yeah, then I'll, uh, then I'll talk to someone I think is, is, is an expert. And yeah, so, and maybe I'll be able to help. what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And maybe I'll be able to help and maybe I won't. But the, 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 the real thing that I'm always trying to achieve is, you know, not to give people fish, blah, 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 to teach them how to fish. It's that old cliche, but it's really, really true. And uh, that is why, you know, when I'm having conversations with people and they say, I don't know, and I say, I don't accept that as an answer, right? What I'm saying, right. like if somebody says, I don't know, I could, if I wanted, uh, go in and say, well, here's the answer. But what would that do? That would affirm that when they come across something that they don't know within themselves or claim not to know, that they need someone outside them to tell them, right? So you've heard me about a million times and people say, well, I don't know. I say, yes, you do, right? And that is, that is to get them to understand that they do have the answers within themselves. And there's nothing wrong with getting help from an external person to stimulate and get you to understand how much you actually know and understand and all that. But fundamentally, I am in no way, shape or form any kind of authority. And I think, I mean, I've really, really tried to learn from... Uh, the intellectual movement that I have the greatest respect for outside of, you know, classical Greece, which is the objectivist movement, the degree to which that movement did not work was the degree to which uh, Rand, and, you know, I'm not putting myself in the same category, but I'm just trying to sort of look at what didn't work. And it didn't work because, um, well, A, because it was called objectivism and not philosophy, which I've I've always resisted any kind of label for what we're doing here, but also fundamentally because there was too much focus on conclusions and there was not enough focus upon the process of reasoning and of self-knowledge. Uh, and I mean, a bunch of other reasons too, which I can, I've got a sort of podcast series on, uh, you know, things that went wrong with objectivism, which is relatively minor relative to the degree that objectivism was just fantastic and amazing and groundbreaking and more original than I can ever claim to be. But um, what, what went wrong was that uh, people got into a set of conclusions, uh, into a kind of dogma. And that's why there has not been a lot of expansion of objectivist thinking beyond what uh, Rand and to some degree Peikoff uh, have done. And I think that's because there was an authority that you saw, oh, he, she has the answer, Rand has the answer, or, you know, the intellectual heir, Peikoff. The idea right. of assigning an intellectual heir is problematic. Everybody should be the intellectual heir of philosophy, not Leonard Peikoff or, or whoever, right? Harry Binswang or whoever. Right, I have to memor- memorizing a lexicon. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the not the way to do it. That is not the way, that is not the way to do it. Um, you know, I, I might be, uh, you know, my, my goal is to, to just to get people to understand just how amazing and powerful they, they really are. 
how how fundamental what fundamental geniuses everybody is uh and that is not that that isn't i don't succeed in that if people think that they have to come to me for any kind of answer right and they they don't i want i want to show them that answers are very possible because if someone outside like if i'm on a call with someone for like an hour and i can give them a couple of mind-blowing things about their own life or whatever it's only mind-blowing because they get it because it connects with them right and you hear that in the shows right. that go well, right? Like I say something that make a connection, whether, you know, about somebody's history or, or some sort of philosophical thing. And they go, aha, like, wow, you know, cool. And they get it, right? But that's their connection. Right. And I want to say that if somebody from outside, if, if somebody from outside your life can come in and in an hour or half an hour give you that kind of connection, then you who've lived in your own body for decades can do a million times better. But you just need to know that it's possible, that it's, that it's available. And so... It is really the internalization of that kind of potential for making connections for reasoning that I want to uh, uh, provoke, in a sense, in people, but, but not in any way, shape, or form to have them say, well, I can't solve this problem, and therefore I have to go to somebody else. Now, that can happen in terms of friendships, right? Because friendships are portable, and friendships, you can have a relationship with a friend that you can't have with me because I'm you know, a guy on, an, on the internet, right, who's got six million other things going on. But with a friend that you right. have in common, you can have these kinds of conversations. You can really help each other and have that kind of depth, which is why I'm continually, annoyingly <laughs> reminding people to, to be honest and open and, and vulnerable with the people in their lives because that is something that you can carry with you that is a one-on-one -on -one relationship that you can't have with some guy on the internet who's got six million other things going on, right? So it is really around being able to reproduce that kind of problem solving within you. And that's why I say there's nothing, there's no authority in me. There's no answers that, that you need me for. Now, if you really run up against the wall, yes, I'm more than happy to help if I can, uh, if I can see around that wall or whatever. But the point of that is not to say, well, the next wall you come to, talk to Steph. The point of that is to say, I've now gone over four walls, so the fifth wall I can do on, like I can do because I know. I know there's something on the other side of the wall, and I just have to be creative and talk with people to, to figure out what it is. Right, right. And I, um, I know you told uh, Emily the other day that, that you have to kind of earn the right to say, I don't know. Like, you have to, like, <laughs> you know, like you were saying, go and tap all your resources. Well, I mean, try to think of every possible scenario. And if you know you're butting your head against the wall constantly and you're not coming up with anything and you've, you've, you've made every effort that you can conceivably think of and you, it's become more of a, a time-consuming situation where the problem kind of needs to be solved sooner than later, then um, that's, the, that's kind of the point where you would go outside of yourself and consult with friends and consult with, um, well, no, I, I think friends, it's okay. I think friends, you know, because they're part of your life and it's a reciprocal, affectionate, positive relationship. I think friends is, is the start. And I've been sort of, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to get this thought out before you continue because I've been a little hesitant to bring this up, right? I mean, the purpose of FDR, the purpose of, of, of this conversation is to leave it behind, right? The purpose is to is to go out into the world uh, with, with confidence and self-knowledge and, and, and spread good, not by listening to podcasts, but by being, you know, strong and powerful and virtuous and vulnerable and honest and whatever it is you know, present, authentic in the world, right? The purpose is to to leave the podcasts behind. And that doesn't mean you can't sort of enjoy them. You know, they, I think some of them are entertaining and they, you know, they can have some content that is valuable. But the point is to internalize the process of self-exploration, of self-knowledge. And you can't achieve virtue in the world by listening to podcasts. You can only achieve virtue in the world by being virtuous in the world, 
right? So uh, the, the purpose of, of FDR, I and mean, it's, it's silly to talk about the purpose of FDR, but the purpose of FDR is for you to leave, to, to move on. And the reason I don't like to bring that up is then people start to say, well, maybe I should have left by now. Well, so-and-so has left, but I'm still here. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm not getting it. Maybe, you know, I don't want people to start self-attacking that way. But now that we're in the show 1500 almost, right? I mean, I, I think it's okay for people to understand that the purpose is, is to move on. Now, I hope that when people move on, that they will, uh, you know, maybe say to people, here's a good resource that I found really helpful and point them towards the show. I hope that people who've moved on will continue to subscribe or to donate. I mean, obviously, I hope that and some people do that, right? People who haven't been around for a long time, they still donate or they still will. Uh, and why? Because they, they want other people to get the benefit of what what they got, right? Uh, and so it's it's why, you know, if you really loved your university, some people will still donate to it after, whatever, right? I mean, that's that's completely optional, like all the donations are. But uh, but the purpose is to have internalized it, to have become a philosopher rather than listening to philosophy shows, to have become authentic rather than to listen to somebody prod and talk about authenticity, to become vulnerable rather than listen to people be vulnerable in a podcast, and to to spread virtue not by referring people to a website, but by uh, by living virtuously in the world. And and that really is the purpose. And that means completely leaving me behind, right? completely leaving me behind, completely leaving uh, me behind as an authority and, and becoming your own authority. Oh, right. Right, and I think, yeah. And that's tough to do. I think that does explain some of my uh, tendencies and just, I don't know why I've done this, but, you know, I haven't been posting a lot on the boards. I'm just um, sort of spending a lot of time with friends here in Philadelphia, especially over the last three weeks since I've been here. Um, and I do have these mind-blowing, uh, just this morning with Greg 1 and Greg 2, um, you know, I have a conversation at Sabrina's where, where, we're, where I do get the mind-blowing situation. We had a, like a... a, a one of those moments that I feel listening to the podcast sometimes. Exactly. Um, and that's, and, and you, you can also then, I'm sorry to interrupt again. I said completely rude. First of all, we call them the, uh, the Borg Greg. That's, that's the name of them. But, um, uh, you can, uh, with the perceptiveness that you have into yourself and the, the fluidity and intelligence and wisdom that you have brought to your own knowledge of yourself and the world, then when you're out in the world and you see somebody or hear somebody who has an issue that you can maybe help them zero in on, you can give them that, uh, kibble, right? You can throw some sardines into the fish tank that way. And, and that helps spread, right? But, but that's the purpose, right? So, sorry, go on. Oh, that, that's basically. Um, I think I think this has definitely helped me to understand um, why. <laughs> I, I I think um, I think this this may help in in my um, my feelings uh, surrounding you because you're right. You were the very first um, experience I ever had at, at someone connecting with me and taking an active curios curious interest in me, um, and someone that had a, a great deal more knowledge than I had, at the well, at least conscious knowledge that I had um, at the time, and that, in a sense, is sort of like what I never got as a child where, where the parent is supposed to have, you know, a significant degree more life experience and knowledge. And, um, 
and to take an active interest in the child. I, I didn't get that kind of degree of curiosity, that degree of connection, that safety, that feeling of of safety and being vulnerable. That where I I, I can come out of my shell and and, and have and take that first step off what looks like a, a, a giant chasm right. into an abyss uh, and it turns out I'm, I'm flying and, and I'm walking across a bridge that I just didn't see to <laughs> to, to understand that, that your um, that first experience what you know I might have experience to some degree in therapy, but I, I don't think since, you know, you were the first experience since I got into therapy after that, it was, um, I didn't get that with the therapist. I don't think to the same degree because you were the first taste of it. And right. so I'm, the first impressions go a long way. The first little nibble and, and the degree to which, you know, you, you, understand philosophy and psychology, I think you do have considerable um, amount of effective, uh, a ratio of effectiveness compared to, to some, my, even my own therapist. And I thought she was really skilled, at least at, at the therapeutic relationship. And I thought the relationship with me and her, and I felt comfortable and safe, and I was able to be open and honest and vulnerable with her. But um, you, you do have that... <laughs> all the ideas and, and the philosophy and all of that. So it, um, I'm not saying that you're a therapist or, any, or, you know, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that I do. And I, look, I, I certainly, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. I mean, you've, you're very kind and I, I, I do, I am aware that the second baguette isn't going to be as mind blowing as the first one. Right. But, but if, if, if through that kind of connection, people get a hunger for it, then they can then go into therapy. I mean, that, that is fantastic to me. There is no doubt that um, there is to some degree whether – I mean I don't want it. I don't, I don't seek it. I don't pursue it and I certainly don't exploit it. But there is to some degree for some people uh, an inevitable aspect of father figure to, to me. You know, and I, I, I say that uh, knowing that it, it opens up all kinds of minefields. But, but there is – I mean just based on what people have communicated to me, that is, uh, that is a reality. Uh, it is not something that I, uh, I mean, it's something that I constantly try to undermine by making fun of myself, by, by being silly, by, you know, not being an authority figure, right? That's something that I'm very, very uh, persistent in trying to, to undermine. Um, but I, you know, it, it is an aspect, uh, of, of what is occurring and it's, you know, because I'm older for some people, bald, who knows, right? But there is that aspect of it. And I think one I thing. I fall into, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I, just, I fall into the pattern that, uh, that I went through growing up of competing for attention, I think. Right. And so if, yeah, so if people have that, uh, then, uh, then if, if they don't get response from me, it may trigger things, you know, from their own parents. I mean, I'm aware of that and, and consistently working to undermine it. But I think that one thing that is, is different is that uh, uh, if if there is that aspect to uh, and it's not I don't think it's dominating but there are going to be some elements of that I mean I think that's uh, my mother once said that she resented Ayn Rand because Ayn Rand had become my mother instead of her and you know again that's all kinds of complicated to talk about but I think there is that that aspect uh, of it for some people in certain situations and 
I think what's different is that, you know, the, I, for me at least, the ideal of parenting is that your child outgrows you. That, that, that's the whole point of parenting is that your child outgrows you. And I think for a lot of people, that has not been their experience of parenting, right? Certainly my parents didn't want me to outgrow them. In fact, they, I think, kind of wanted to keep me in a relatively little inconvenient box for their needs. But certainly not to have sure. me, yeah, have me sort of, and so I think the reason why it's tough for people who have some element of, you know, parental projection going on with me is that I do, I do want people to, to, you know, leave me in the dust. I do want people, you know, so that we can, you know, whoever turn to whoever's coming down the road. Right. But I think that aspect is, is tough for people, right? Because to sort of, to sort of have a, a sort of pseudo parental figure say, you need to, you know, grow up, grow on, move out, blah, 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 I think is quite different from, and with encouragement, with, you know, you can do it, you're, you know, here's your support system if you wanted, your therapist, you know, go get one and all that kind of stuff. I think it's it's tough for people because it's very different from the parenting that a lot of people have, have experienced in the past, if that makes any sense. It does. And, um, and yeah, in my, in my, <laughs> my experience of, during my childhood was that, my mother, especially, and my father, to the to a slightly lesser degree, would try to solve all my problems, and I was never allowed to actually solve my own problems. So I never had any confidence in solving problems for myself. Right. And um, you know, I kind of figured that out when reading the parent effect in this training book that that I didn't get that ability from uh, they did not train me on on getting out there and I, I don't think they wanted me to get that they wanted me to remain dependent and remain helpless and and, and dependent and, and powerless and um, to some degree they succeeded for quite a while and yeah. um, and there is a there getting, is a bitter sorry there is a bittersweet element of that kind of growth and I'm not going to attempt to reduce listeners to my daughter that's a ridiculous thing but just speaking as a parent there are things that she no longer needs me for, right? There are just things that she no longer needs me for. And I'm, I'm incredibly proud of that, but it's also sad, right? Because right. It, was a, it was a great phase, right? Like she can, she doesn't want me to feed her anymore. She doesn't want Christina to feed her anymore, right? She wants to feed herself. That's what she wants to do. And she actually will reject, even if oh, she's hungry, already. she will reject food if she doesn't get to feed herself because she wants to, you know, be a big person and do it herself, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I mean, I'm really genuinely thrilled and I wouldn't want it any other way. But it's also a little bit sad. You know, I think about this when I'm sort of carrying her around and, and so on that, I mean, there'll be a time I won't be able to lift her, right? And I will absolutely think back and think what a wonderful time it was when she could nestle into my arms and that kind of stuff. So she, I want her to, to, to grow up and, and to do things for herself. But at the same time, it's, it's bittersweet. And I think that may be what, what you're experiencing when you look at the internalization of philosophy rather than, you know, looking at me as any kind of authority. Right. Right. You mean like growing up for the past three years, the, that whole process? Well, I, I, when you think about um, being your own authority and not relying on, you're not, not needing me or not needing any, anything to do with this, right? Having your, your support system, your community, your friends, whoever, right? Um, right. I mean, how, how does that feel when you think about taking that step or, or having that internalization where... Uh, where I, n I am no longer in any way 
uh, deeper or richer or wiser or smarter than you? In some ways, it's anxiety-provoking, and others, it's um, it gives me a lot of confidence and self. Uh, it gives me that feeling of efficacy that feels amazing. Yeah, it's bittersweet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like, oh no, like the next thing that comes up, I'm not going to be able to tackle this problem because it's too big. Right. And yet I, I overcome it. Um, um, the, I thought I thought this move to Philadelphia and trying to get my house, you know, situ, situation situated and get out of that bear trap of, you know, that I was keeping myself in or the self-created bear trap, I think is one word for it. But, right, and, that, and sorry, that's one of the reasons why I... Prom- sorry, go ahead. I just, it just, it, it seemed, the problems that came up seemed insurmountable until I listed them all out, and then I started taking them one by one and realizing that some things didn't need to be done till later, and I, I began to feel some efficacy, and okay, I can check that off the list and move to the next problem and, and not you know, harangue myself for not getting this problem finished that day or, you know, just giving myself some time and some, some praise for, for the problems I did finish. And, um, that, that whole surmounting that whole thing, the whole move, getting in here, getting a job that, that we talk, the kind of job that I really wanted, the, 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 that we had a conversation about a while back, that um, the whole thing has been, wow, I did all that. Right. I, I'm just kind of amazed with myself and just, I, it feels great. And it's like, oh, but what else can I do? Right. Right, right. I, and, I never, hey, I uh, never staff, imagined this. Sorry, one sec. And, and all growth involves that kind of bittersweet. That's why I think processing ambivalence is so so important. Sorry, James. Uh, I know we're spending a lot of time on this call, and I know that we have other people on the... We're, yeah, we have a lot. We have a slew of callers, and they're dropping, too. All right. So, sorry, Nate. Uh, I oh, really appreciate sorry. that. We can talk further if you want, but uh, you're absolutely right, James. Sure. I do apologize to the listeners. Uh, let's uh, uh, let's move on to, to the next in the queue. Uh, no we have a caller from area code uh, 612. You are on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, please. And sorry to make you wait for so long. Please go ahead. Caller from area code 612. You're on the air. Hello. Okay, let's try this one. A caller from area code 643. You are on the air. This is Rick speaking. Oh, hi. How's it going? Very well. Uh, am I on the air? This you sure right. are. I'm sorry to make you You've wait for like so long. Go ahead. You've got like five calls. Not at all. Stuff. Okay. That was actually very worthwhile, and I enjoyed listening to what Nat had to say. I'm interested in how free domain has developed. And for a little, I'm I'm reading up to, well, listening up to 900 level podcasts, and it seemed like uh, this is. I think it's around about the time that the T-shirts came out, and that was part of the promotion. And it seems like the purpose of Free Domain Radio back then was to get people doing outreach. And has that changed or was that a misunderstanding of mine? Uh, that has changed, yeah. Um, there is less, uh, ah. certainly no particular focus on outreach and hasn't been for probably 
a year and a half or so, but yeah, actually more, I think. Yeah, I'm behind. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. You know, you're, you're catching up because my output is certainly down, so. Well, I'm glad because I've got a long way to go. What, what I was calling up from uh, concerning, I'm, I've started going to therapy now and I've had three different therapists and I'm, I'm not quite connecting with these guys. One, the big problem I have is procrastination. I've listened to the, the three good podcasts about that and I've got some great theory coming from you, Steph, on that and I really enjoy it, but I don't think I'm emotionally connecting with it. I've got great ideas, but I can't act on them, and I don't have that penny-dropping sensation that it really makes sense to me. And I talk about it with these therapists, and as I say, I've been through three, and they'll tell me to do things like I'll make up a, um, a schedule, and I show them my diary and say, look, I'm already doing that. And I talk about how when people come into my office here at home, I snap at them and I get really angry and I sort of blame other people for my problems and I also have that thing where I'm going to the airport and I get angry at other drivers and I get angry at other people but really I'm kind of ashamed at myself for leaving it so late and being the last person to get there and just making the flight. Right. Uh, so I've got these problems but it seems like my therapists aren't hooking into it but you know they're telling me you know just shut the door and I'm saying you know, I have these outbursts of rage when people come to my office and interrupt me and she said, just shut the door. But that's sort of managing and coping with the problem and I don't want to do that. I want to get to the roots of it. And if, if Yeah, I got this really weird mole that winks at me. Put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't yeah. know anything about your therapist but and I'm certainly no therapist myself, but um, there are, there are t I mean, two ways to approach these, these kinds of issues. One is to manage the symptoms uh, and the other is to go deep into figuring out what aspects of your history may have contributed to these particular outbursts uh, of, you know, something may have been patterned for you as a kid that uh, you saw this example of how people interacted with others or how people negotiated with others or didn't negotiate with others that gave you some kind of pattern that is being reproduced. And I think it's, uh, you know, my, I tried to sort of make my lists and willpower and I, it doesn't, it never worked for me fundamentally. Um, but going deep, and and uh, you may want to uh, look into a therapist who has uh, you know some significant experience with uh, you know deep psychology, deep sort of self knowledge, really going into your history, figuring out where these patterns and feelings came from. And that would be my suggestion. Um, I, I always find when I hear advice like this, and again, I I know you're not giving me the whole story because we're limited in time, but um, sure. I just I find that. Of course you've thought about closing the door, right? Of course you've thought about doing yeah, X, Y, and Z, right? I mean, when you say to somebody who procrastinates, it's like, well, break it down into smaller chunks and then do it bit by bit. And as if they've never thought of that, it's sort of insulting in a way, right? Of course you're a very intelligent fellow. A little bit. Right? You, you, you know that, right? Yeah, yeah. So the issue is not what little tips can be given to you that can turn your entire life around in this area. Uh, it has to be something that is difficult for you, uh, as it is for everyone. It has to be something that is not obvious. It has to be something that's going to be very challenging uh, because otherwise you would have done it already, right? It's not like, uh, you know, uh, shave up and down, not left to right because you'll catch yourself. That's obvious, right? But the things that you're going to be dealing with in this area, my, my guess would be that it's going to be deep. It's going to be familial or, or caregiver-based. It's going to be uh, historical. Uh, and it's going to be, you know, like lifting the Titanic, right? And you, that's why you need a therapist, need a coach who's experienced in that kind of stuff. And so I would not necessarily 
um, if they're not working for you, right, and this is true of any relationship, whether it's therapeutic or any other kind of relationship, if it's not working with you uh, for you, the first thing I would do is sit down and say, it's not working for me and this is sort of what I feel and this is where my frustrations are and see if you can reorient a therapeutic relationship closer to something that may be more productive if that's where you want to go. Uh, and if it, if you can't, then of course you're the customer, right? You can find somebody who's going to go, uh, going to go deep with you. Somebody who's going to strap on the bath escape and just go right down into the trench, right? Yep, and that's what I want. I think that's right. But as I say, I've been through three now, and it's costing me. Is there something I can do? Because it feels like my real difficulty here is not having access to my emotions. And when I joined FDR, I made a big stink about that. That. I don't understand why you people think emotions are real or have any efficacy because right. they don't for me. And I just, I'm used to doing this Mr. Spock thing and it didn't right. seem like anyone could relate to me, but now it seems like, you know, I'm far from well, alone and I've, I've since heard you say that you were like that. Yeah. And it certainly sounds like you have access to some emotions like rage and frustration, right? So you just want to widen the yeah. repertoire a little, right? Have some more flexibility. Well, I would, I would give this, the same conversation that you're having with me, you know, I would have with the therapist. I call somebody new or have it with your existing therapist first, you know, so that you can, you don't have to sort of spend money bringing someone else up to speed. Just have that conversation. Say, you know, these tips are not helping me. I really feel it's something maybe in my history, something deep, something, you know, can you help me at that level? Right. And, and let's, let's go down. Let's, let's figure out what I want to get to the root of this, you know, dissociation or whatever it is. I don't know. Right. But whatever it is that's going on for you, you know, ask your therapist, tell them what you actually want, what you actually need, what you think is really going to help you and uh, ask them to, to lead you through that process. And if they say, well, you know, I'm more of a, you know, I give tips and band-aids then, uh, then I think, you know, you have to, but I think it's also important to recognize that if you've ended up with three therapists like that, you're doing something too. Right. Like you're looking to stay at a certain level uh, because if the therapist doesn't go deeper uh, and, and you're okay with that and you continue to pay, then you kind of want to stay at that level too in a way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, quite possibly. I've heard you do calls with people and they start out, you know, all steady voice and calm and pointing out facts and then it hits them. And I know that's not like a mechanical thing you can say, like just add water, <laughs> but how do you do that to people and how can I do it to myself? Well, I, th I think the thing to do is, and I'm, I'm certainly happy to, to have a chat with you one-on-one on one if you think it would be helpful. Uh, I would definitely try talking things out with your therapist first. And again, I don't do anything to do with therapy, but I'm, I do have a good knacking for asking those annoying and persistent questions that do tend to help people get to the root of stuff. So send me a, an EM if you can't work things out with your therapist, uh, and I would be certainly happy to have a chat if it would be of use to you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. What do you think of um, sentence completion? I've got the Nathaniel Brandon disowned self book. I thought that might be the big answer. Uh, I'm a big fan of the psychology of self-esteem. I've never found his other books to be quite as good. So if you haven't read that, I'd certainly recommend it because he really does talk about the value of emotions there. Um, and I've, I've, I think I've read most of his other books, but they never had quite the impact on me as that first one did. Right. Well, all right, I'll do as you say. I'll have that talk with my therapist, and I'd love to take you up on that if things don't work out. Thank I you. would certainly be happy to help, and thanks you so much for the call. No worries. All right. Next, look at that. Look at that efficiency. It's shocking. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh, it looks like we have a um, Skype caller. Uh, so the caller calling in from Skype, go ahead. You are on the air. Uh, excuse me, that could be me. It is yes, you. That's you. Okay. Um, yeah. Interesting. I've, I've uh, never come across your show. It's the first time. Great stuff. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I found rather difficult, uh, 
you know, going through the school of hard knocks, as it were, is coming to that realization that, you know, if, if you continually look for validation in other things or other people, you're never going to get, uh, you're never going to uh, sort of fill that hole. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult journey, um, to, to get, to get there. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's it it can be lonely and it it can be uh somewhat isolating but it's also uh when you get there to that position i find it so i find it very freeing uh you know in one's in one's life uh, the other thing i find is that i find that people are I, I think a lot of people are looking for leadership and I think they're sort of grasping at straws and uh, and when they come across somebody who's, you know, has those qualities, they kind of go, oh, my goodness, look at that. You know, wow, kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's uh, it's an interesting kind of uh journey onto trying to get some sort of a, you know, a self-esteem built up in one's life. And uh, being able to say to yourself, you know, I'm standing, I'm standing solid uh, where I am. And, you know, I have this kind of morals and I have these kinds of beliefs, um, you know, I, I base them on fact. And this is this is how I'm going to live my life, regardless of what other people think or say or do. Um, I was going to say something else to it kind of uh, left me there. But, well, um, while you think about it, I just wanted to, I think, I think I understand what you're saying. I just sort of wanted to reinforce it. I mean, there, there does tend to be a kind of mythological journey where you get tutored by someone. And it certainly was the case with me and, and other people have uh, honored me with the, you know, to whatever small degree that role as a kind of tutor or a mentor or whatever. And I think the really important thing, what I sort of understood with, with the people that I, you know, looked up to, um, uh, and, and accepted and absorbed, you know, most of what was said as, as valid. What I sort of finally understood with me, it was a uh, Russian philosopher, Ayn Rand. And what I finally understood was that if I judged Ayn Rand as credible, it was my judgment that she was credible. In other words, it was my judgment that, uh, that she was, uh, that she had true and valid things to say. And if I could judge that she had true and valid things to say, it was not because I was judging Ayn Rand. It was because I was judging truth and validity, uh, you know, reason and evidence and all that kind of stuff. And once I got that, then I did not need to, to look for answers in another person, but recognized that the cr degree of credibility that they had with me was the degree to which I was able to see and recognize truth from falsehood, uh, right from wrong, and so on. That internalization process uh, is something that, you know, I, I really strongly encourage. That's really the purpose of education, is is to become more of, of who you are and to trust your, your own judgment, with with good reason, not just sort of randomly, but with reason and evidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in my younger years, uh, in going to high school, we, we did this choir tour thing, and I uh, kind of, you know, chummed with a few of the fellows there, and uh, we got to a point where, uh, you know, we had this meal and we were supposed to have a gift exchange and, you know, not spend over $10 and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then you were to, the, you know, cause you pick names and then you were to, cause you knew who you had and then you would buy that gift and then give it to them after the, you know, towards the end of the banquet. Um, 
And the one fellow that I kind of, uh, really decent fellow, very tall, um, uh, very good natured and this type of thing, had uh, given me a gift. Uh, and I can't remember who I gave, but he gave me a gift. And I opened it up and it was, <clears throat> uh, you know, that uh, Charlie Brown little Snoopy character? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was Snoopy on a skateboard with sunglasses and his shirt said Joe Cool and you know a little skateboard of wheels that actually rolled. And he gave this to me and I kind of you know I was I, like I'm looking at this thing and well, I, I like Snoopy. I mean that's kind of nice, you know, uh it's cute, great. And then he turns around and he looks at me and he says, "You know, he says I've always wanted to be you." And I looked <laughs> and I said, Joel, I said, man, you don't want to be me. I said, I've got a pile of problems in my life. I mean, right. thanks, but, you know, uh, you're, you know, I didn't say this part, but, you know, I almost said, you know, you're seeing something that isn't there. Right. Uh, Sorry to interrupt, know, but this, that, this, real- this just reminded me of there's an old New Yorker cartoon where one guy in a bar is talking to another guy in a bar and he says, uh, so guy A says to guy B, how's your life going these days? Uh, and the guy B says, it's not bad. It's, it's just not much like Sting's. You know, like the singer, right? Because like, oh, because he, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. I saw an interview with Sting where he said, you know, I saw that and I actually put it up in my office because people don't understand that I've got hassles and problems. And the guy had to take his accountant to court for stealing millions of dollars from him and his concerts go well or go badly or he's got sore throat and got a cold and he's got to go up and sing and he's got a headache and he's got to be on. I mean, he has his issues, his challenges, his problems. But I just, you know, we look at people at their very best and shiniest moments and say, it's like that all the time. And therefore, like we see the people on the red carpet at the Oscar and say it's like that for them all yeah. the time as opposed to the constant rejection that that even the the most popular actresses get yeah 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 uh i you know and personally like i i live in a, a section of like i'm in canada i live in a section it's a rural area uh very very religious and i'm <laughs> not religious and um you know i find it uh rather difficult to uh find individuals that are somewhat, you know, of the same kind of mindset, um, willing to, you know, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre, uh, in that respect. I mean, I did start a local humanist society in this area because there were some people that had supported me on a particular issue and, you know, everybody's sending these emails, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, let's get this humanist uh, organization going and, you know, let's meet and, you know, like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I think it was, 10 people were emailing me and say, yep, yeah, you know, we're going to meet there at the coffee shop on that particular day, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm going, hey, this is great, you know, like minds. Because apparently statistics show that there's around this area, there's about 200 people that have no belief system or of religion or anything like that. So uh, make a long story short, a cafe there, uh, hoping to meet 10 people, uh, there was only one guy. I know. I know. Getting free thinkers to congregate can be like herding cats. Uh, I I have had some similar experiences, so I I really do understand. And I I really do hate to cut you off because I just, but I know we have a certain amount of time left in the show. Uh, not to pimp yeah. my website, but if you do want to chat with people who are, you know, atheists and rationalists and so on, uh, freedomainradio.com, there's, you know, 
4,000 people who are members and, you know, there may be some people in your neck of the woods who I'm sure would be very interested sure. to to meet up. But yeah, I, I think the internet has really helped us feel a little bit less like stars in the night sky and a little bit more like a constellation that can see each other. So uh, I, I hope that you'll right. find some resource uh, somewhere because I think that kind of conversation is really, really important to, to staying happy. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Next. There is, uh, no, there is no more. They, um, I guess, uh, fell asleep, off wandered off. American Idol must be on. <laughs> Came up with a good song this morning. Isabella quite enjoyed it. Goes something like this. All I hear is baby yo gaga, baby yo goo goo, baby yo blah blah. It kind of goes on from there. But uh, she did quite enjoy it. And I thought you might as well. All right. Well, we do have time for another caller, or uh, we can either tail off, uh, or I can ramble tangent. Uh, the caller number is three four seven six three three nine six three six. If you want to call in and chat, we have another oh, nineteen minutes. We've got so. somebody that's appeared. Bing. Here we go, like friend. magic. It's the gremlin. Get that number out again. Oh, Hello. and another one after that one too. Okay, uh, area code seven three two. You are on the air. Go ahead. Uh, it's a Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm just great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I have a question uh, uh, for you. Uh, I think I heard somewhere that you, uh, at some point, uh, were managing a, a IT a IT team. Yes. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if this is relevant to philosophy, but... Uh, and uh, I was kind of uh, doing that kind of job, not formally. I don't have, like, a formal... Uh, title, but I'm kind of like a team lead, and uh, what I'm really uh, uh, having a lot of problems uh, with is uh, motivating people, you know, and I was wondering if you have any advice on how to actually motivate people. It's almost, I mean, I I almost come to the conclusion that if they are not self-motivated, it's very hard to teach them. Uh, Right, right. Uh, What is your degree of motivation? I'm sorry? How motivated are you in your job? Oh, I mean, I I, I love my job. I, I I like what I do. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't uh, trade it for anything else. I mean, I I love what I do, and I mean, getting paid for it is a good part. But you know, it, I, I it's not like I wake up in the morning and I resent going to my job. You know, I actually you know I spend the hours. Uh, some some people say I'm a workaholic sometimes, but. Uh, and sorry to interrupt, but, but uh, do you do you know why it is that you uh, you like your job so much? Like, if someone were to say to you, "Why do you like your job so much?" What would you say? Uh, because it uh, makes me feel good about myself. Like it gives some kind of meaning to like it. It's tough, right? And I, it's a tough question to ask, right? But but if you feel enthusiastic, and the reason I ask this question is, if you know why you feel enthusiastic about your job, right? Like, let's say that you're programming um, something which has MRI machines work better. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter what you do. But if you're doing something like that, you can say, well, when, whenever I type a great line of code or a great block of code, I know that I'm helping people get diagnosed quicker, not die, get healthier, whatever it is, whatever it is that uh, that you're doing, if there's some value, and of course there's value in just about everything that everybody does, at least in the legal market, um, then th- there's, there's some way in which your 
your work, the work that you do with your keyboard is having some tangible effects in the real world. It could be anything. If you're doing an air traffic control system, it's like fewer people will burst into flames in midair as their planes go crashing into each other. And I like the fact that people get to go home to their families rather than falling down in scattered bits of ashen body bits to the ground. So if you can connect what it is that people are doing to some real world outcome that has some value, and even if it's, you know, like you're doing an online strip poker site or something, it's like, well, at least people are getting more comfortable with their own bodies, and, you know, like they're having some fun at the end of a long day, whatever it is, right? Um, so the, the way that I tried to always put it was, was to, to help, you know, when you're working in a cubicle doing your code, you're, you're meeting your spec, you're, you know, you're hitting your due dates. It, it can get really easy to forget that what you're doing has some tangible effect down the road that is beneficial to someone. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be doing it, right? So when I worked in a company that helped uh, people um, figure out how much maintenance their buildings needed, um, you know, it was a way of saying, well, here, you know, people will live in safer buildings, right? They will uh, not end up spending a lot more money. So they can give their employees, like maintaining their buildings, so they can give their employees more raises. So like there's things that you do that have some tangible impact somewhere in the world. And if you can get people to connect their typing with that end thing, then it's not just in a vacuum. It's not like they're just, well, I've got to do some typing and then I go home. But it's connected to some larger vision. Uh, that would be my suggestion, at least the first place to start. I see what you said. I see what you said. Well, you see, where I'm coming from is that, I mean, I see other managers or senior managers in, in the company. And what they usually do is, like, for instance, when there is a lot of work, sometimes they just get upset, you know, and they kind of manage by fear, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? I don't... Well, yeah, and I, I think uh, the other thing to do is, is if there is a difficult or hostile work environment in certain areas, I think that you don't want to be the guy who just, you know, has that grin that's just like, everything's fine, you know, when everybody knows it's not. Uh, so I think that uh, if, if, if people are being pounded down a little bit by aggressive or hostile management, I think you need to, to talk to people about that and say, you know, tell me what that's like for you. What is it like for you coming to work? You can't accentuate the positive unless you accept the negative, I think. Otherwise, you just look like you're smiling as the Titanic goes down. So I think that it's really worth – you really have to accept the negatives that your employees are feeling in, or that you're, the people you're in charge of. Accept the negatives. Ask them what is problematic in the workplace uh, and and then say you know, do what you can to try and resolve or, or fix that. Uh, that you know, I think people are naturally buoyant and quite happy, and it takes a lot of rocks falling on their heads for them to end up on their knees. So if you can pry a few loose, I think that their buoyancy will, to a large degree, uh, float up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've also what I've observed in the couple of years, a few years that I've been uh, in the industry, is that a lot of uh, programmers that are are kind of born here. They're a little bit more. Sorry, they're born. I, I don't want to. Are here, like in the U.S. Are born in the U.S. Yeah. They're born in the U.S. or like they did their studies in the U.S. They're kind of more self motivated I mean, I don't want to cast you know prejudices against anybody. You know, but right. it's hard to like. I, I get. Uh, we have a couple of uh, programmers that uh, came from uh, other country. I don't want to say the country, but uh, it's, it's like you have to almost like push them and. You know what I mean? It's like it's very hard, and I don't know if that has to do with society, like this, how they were brought up. I mean, it's a very, very different mindset, I guess. Sorry, you mean but the I, people who come from from outside the U.S. Uh, you kind of yeah. have to get behind. They don't have a lot of initiative. Yes, 
Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first place that I would look is is how they're raised. I mean, that's not the be all and end all of who we end up as, but it's always the first place to look. You know, you might want to read a little bit about the parenting practices or the educational practices in the culture where these people come from. And uh, I mean, I, I've had some people from uh, other cultures. Uh, who I know have a lot of potential, but they won't take initiative. And that's because they get raised in environments where they're punished for taking initiative, either by the family or by the educational system. And that is just a challenge. Uh, you can't undo their entire histories, you know, but you can, I think, be more positive and encouraging and, and help them to get that way. But I think the first thing to do is to understand how they ended up that way. Now, I'm sorry to cut you off. I really do apologize. We just have, we have another caller and I want to make sure we get to as many people as possible given how uh, enormously uh, I, I, I invested into the previous convo. So uh, if you have more questions, I'm happy to chat, chat with you further if you want to call in next week or the week after. But I think you've got your work cut out with you with some of the suggestions that may be of use of that we've talked about. Yep. Thank you for your time. All right. Thanks. Best of luck, man. And uh, good for you for what you're doing, right? To make people happier in their jobs is a very, very important part to making the world a happier place. Uh, James, we have another? We yes, one we have another. Um, this is caller from area code 785. You are on the air. Uh, hello, Steph. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, I was uh, calling. I had a question about a uh, um, an event that uh, I was invited to recently. And uh, I, I ended up not going, uh, but uh, I wondered if you uh, had an idea on on exactly how I should think about these sorts of uh, these sorts of events. It was uh, I've been going to an atheist meetup. An atheist meetup, yeah, okay. And uh, you know, there uh, I've had some really great experiences there, talking about uh, politics as well as as well as uh, religion. But uh, recently, they were having a a protest. Going into more of the the activism thing, and usually I'm not a uh, a big a big fan of protests because they're directed politically, uh, which which I think is kind of usually a waste of time. But uh, in this case, it was uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of these uh, uh, Hell House. Oh, I think you, you posted about this on the board, didn't you? That you were thinking of setting up a, a booth outside the Hell House, and the Hell I, House I is is where Christian children or are, are brought to. Uh, to experience uh, like a, what you and I would be like a haunted house, but for them it's supposed to be their real destination if they don't obey the priests and their the church, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah, to I me, this is entirely, I mean, my opinion, and it's a very strong opinion, uh, though I can't say that I can prove it scientifically, uh, this is entirely abusive towards children. Uh, it is incredibly destructive. It is monstrous. It is horrifying. It is bestial. Uh, and uh, and so your, your question is, would you want to set up a booth uh, out front and just say, you know, this is this is wrong or this is not, not good to some degree, right? And, yeah, yeah. Um... Because I mean, obviously, I think the, the better, the best use of time would be personal conversations. Uh, but that's, that's sometimes that's hard to hard to get at. Sorry, you mean personal uh, conversations with the children or with the parents who are bringing their children to this uh, place? Or just just with people in general? I, you know, I'd I'd like to be talking with people intimately and you know about deep issues, but uh, rather than just holding a sign. Right. And now I would assume that you're not uh, thinking of, of enlightening the parents, uh, but uh, more uh, around at least giving the children the, the, the idea that there are people out there who consider what is being done to them uh, wrong. Exactly. 
Right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, I, I think it's a good thing that you're doing if you're going to do that. I, I think it is a good thing. Uh, ch- children are incredible sponges, and they they notice things, and they're particularly attuned to notice exceptions to rules. Right. Anytime you give a kid a rule, the kid will automatically look for an exception. Right. So if you tell kids don't throw things, right, and then you toss something into the garbage, the kid will immediately bam say, wait, 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 you said don't throw things, and you just threw something into the garbage, right? Kids are always looking for exceptions to rules, and it's a good thing that they're doing that, right, because they need to understand the world and how it works. So if you have, uh, you know, a sort of peaceful protest for how these children are being, I think, psychologically abused uh, by being put into this hell house and saying, this is what's going to happen to you, and they're genuinely terrifying. I've seen some video footage of hell houses. Like, they scare me. Uh, and I'm not a little kid, uh, and uh, so they, they really are horrifying, uh, all the more so because uh, it, is, uh, it is considered that they believe it's a real place, not just like a, a scary make-believe thing. So I think, I think it's a good thing. You don't know the degree to which the kid is going to remember that, right? Because if the kid is growing up in a, uniformity, in a uniform situation where everybody believes the same thing and there are no exceptions, it'll be hard for them to think of exceptions. But if they see somebody who is providing an alternate viewpoint... I, I really think that that could sit and uh, and I mean the, the purpose of of atheist um, activism and this is obviously just my opinion I don't speak for you know I, I speak for one atheist right so uh, but but for me the purpose of atheist activism is I mean you can't convert the parents or at least almost never you can't I mean the children don't really have any scope for free thinking in that environment but I think if the parents are aware that intelligent, skeptical, critical, outspoken atheists are out there poking holes at the doctrine, then I think they're going to be less certain and absolute about what they're teaching, right? So, for instance, there's documentaries out there. Uh, I think I think it was Jesus Camp or something. I can't remember, but where the the people who are Christians are training the children on how to answer questions about evolution. You know, say after me, kids, how do you know? Blah blah. Like that doesn't apply a million times more to God. And so because of evolution, uh, Christians have to uh, teach their children how to respond to evolution. And that is going to teach them a little bit about evolution, whether they like it or not. And in the same way, if atheists have, have strong and valid criticisms against the existence of God, it puts at least some superstitious parents in the position of having to respond to those arguments. And the kid's going to then at some point going to be exposed to them or have some knowledge that alternate viewpoints exist. I know it's a very sort of tip of the spear, thin edge of the wedge, but I think uh, I think it's the most effective thing to do. And I think that if you do that, I mean, I would be very interested to hear how it goes. And uh, I certainly would uh, would I mean, for whatever it's worth, I think it's I think it's a good thing to do. All right. Well, it it was it was this Friday. But there's going to be another one. Uh, I ended up not going. I actually went to on a uh, they had they had this uh, haunted train ride at one of the issues rail sections. They're very common around here. And uh, ended up taking taking my son, and it was uh, I, I couldn't help contrasting the uh, the experiences because uh, well, it was designed for um, smaller kids, but you know he was he was all interested in how they how they make it look like that, and we were looking at the mirrors and you know and how different that is from you know this is real um, right <laughs> right yeah it's like the difference between a magician's trick and thinking that the magician is actually sawing someone in half, right? If you actually thought that the magician was sawing someone in half, you would 
call the horrified. cops. You'd be horrified. It would be, you'd be watching a live dismemberment would be just beyond horrifying and, and ghastly. But because you know he's not, it's, a, it's an interesting intellectual trick. And that's the difference between a haunted house like Halloween and a haunted house like you go here if you disobey me or the priest. Now you you don't have to go, obviously, right? I mean, but but for what it's worth, I think I think it would be a good thing to do. Which doesn't mean that you have to do it, obviously. I mean, we're free, right? But but I just I mean, for what it's worth, I think it would be a a useful thing to do. All right. It, well, that that does help because I, I just want to make sure that I'm putting my uh, putting my efforts where it, where it counts the most. So. All right. Yeah, and if you have a couple of brochures or, you know, anything, right? I mean, uh, you can't obviously go and hand them to the kids because I, I think that would probably be uh, uh, a bit volatile. But, you know, it's there, it's available, and the kids uh, the kids will remember that somebody didn't agree. The kids will remember that something didn't, someone didn't agree. And that's why, you know, where I can, if I see a child being aggressed against, uh, I, will, uh, I will intervene. Not because I'm expecting the parent to suddenly see the light, although I certainly will suggest to the parent that it get some help with anger management or whatever. But at least the kid remembers somebody who disagreed, right? And that's, that's crucial. I mean, the one exception to a rule, right, if, if, if you've seen rocks fall down your whole life and you let go of a rock and it stands in midair, that's the rock you will remember most of all, right? You just need one exception to a general rule. It really is going to stick in your mind and can be an escape hatch later. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome, and uh, if you do go, I certainly would be very interested uh, to to hear how it goes. And uh, if you do go again, I mean, I think it's a good thing to do. And congratulations on taking that stand. I'll. Uh, I, I think I probably will. All right. Best of luck. Best of luck. And uh, yeah, I mean, if if you ever a parent who hears this, uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't send your kids to those places. Uh, it is. I mean, it, it it should be illegal. I mean, it should be illegal. It is. I mean, you, you're not allowed to take your kids to go and see live surgery because it would be traumatic to them. If you took your kids to a vampire movie and said that vampires were real and would eat them if they didn't finish the carrots, uh, that would be terrifying uh, and abusive to a child. Uh, these hell houses are even worse because it's an inevitable future based upon disobedience to superstitious edicts. And it is forever uh, that the people believe they're going to be in this. And what kind of sadists run these things? It's just astounding. Anyway, don't get me started. Seconds. So uh, thank you very, very much. If you do get a chance, uh, I have put out a video called Money Is You. If you get a chance, uh, I would appreciate it if you could post it on, you know, relevant forums where people might be interested, Zeitgeist, Ron Paul, uh, the Libertarian sites and forums. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. It's only five minutes long. I think it's quite a powerful uh, indictment of uh, what is really going on when uh, your government gets into debt to other governments. Um, and so I hope that you will get a chance to check it out. You can go to fdrurl.com forward slash money is you one word and you will see the thread with the video and you can of course comment on it there uh, i'm very pleased with the video it was quite a bit of work but i'm i'm very pleased with how it came out and i hope that you will check it out it's not a ramble fest it's actually quite concise so it will be shocking to people but i hope that you will get a chance to have a look at it and if you like it if you could post it around i would appreciate it and i'm sure other people will as well it's uh, always a good thing to have this kind of ammunition in the fight against uh, corruption and injustice which is really the hallmark our philosophy. So thank you so much. If you haven't donated for a while, please feel free to. Uh, uh, October is always a tad of a light month. I'm not sure exactly why. I think it's because people are buying endless uh, bags of Snickers bars. But uh, if you haven't donated for a while, just go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate.html. I would hugely appreciate it. Bandwidth costs. Thank you so much for listening and for watching and have yourselves an absolutely scrumptiously delicious week. And uh, I will see you here next week.
uh, for the Freedom Made Radio Sunday show. All the very best. Stefan Molyneux, out.